Hello, I'm Chris. And I'm Sean. And this is Monsters and Mythos, a podcast where we take a look at the races and monsters of Dungeons and Dragons and compare them to their folkloric and mythological counterparts. Today we will be returning to the Fey Realm to discuss the elves. Now, I know you've never heard of an elf, right? Oh, not ever. Not not in my many, many years of gaming or, or you know, rope, tabletop role-playing games. <laughs> and so, yes, today the elves, the beautiful creatures as people think of them as, because surely that must have been how are. Well, if you've listened to our gnomes, halflings, goblins episodes, you'll remember that. There's a reason I don't care for the Fey Realm, and it's because nothing is consistent anywhere. <laughs> and you know what? The elves are no exception to this rule. So, let's just rip this band-aid off and hop into it. So, Sean, what can you tell us about the elves of Dungeons & Dragons? Alright, well, this uh, will be a bit of a chewy topic I have a few mouthfuls here uh the elf in my opinion uh hands down one of the most popular playable races in dungeons and dragons elves and half elves alike seem to find their way more often than not into someone's adventuring party somewhere you know all the time so elves tend uh to, let's see, the elves tend to vary a bit in their descriptors depending on the classic sub-variants. We'll go over that in a bit, uh, but for now we're going to just kind of generalize. So first let's uh, talk size. Not quite Santa's little helpers, you know, while half-elves tend to be stockier and taller, much like their human counterparts, elves tend to be just a bit more diminutive. diminutive. Uh, most elves coming in between five and a half and six feet in height, uh, all with very slender builds, rarely exceeding, you know, 150 pounds in weight. Pointed ears, wide, colorful, alert eyes, uh, skin tones and hair colors ranging similar to that of humans, uh, mostly, with few exceptions. And, uh, also it is noted, uh, through the many additions that elves do not contain uh, within them what is needed to grow facial hair growing little to no body hair at all so uh, not so much for half elves who retain a lot of their human-like qualities uh, while lean and slender naturally agile intelligent and curious elves have other unique abilities as well you know uh, one being how they sleep well they don't a vigorous, semi-conscious meditation grants those of elvish stock the same benefits as eight hours of sleep to the other races. And this comes in handy in many situations, particularly while adventuring. You know, um, <coughs> excuse me. Another kind of ability is an exceptionally long lifespan. While elves mature at roughly the same rate humans do at first, Elves are capable of living northwards of 700 years. Uh, within elven communities, one is not truly considered an adult until they have reached 100 years of age or more. Uh, generally considered beautiful by most, as you were saying, these naturally graceful people hold many roles throughout society. With their unnaturally long lifespan, many elves take hundreds of years honing a multitude of skills. 
you know, skills like uh, you know, architects, archers, artisans, craftsmen, swordsmen, spellcasters, scholars, wizards, you know, and, and, and more. All counted amongst those in the elven communities. And, th and this is not like the special higher up of these elven communities. Like that, what I just described is, is the, the commoners of the elven communities, you know. So, uh, throughout the realms, uh, goods of all kinds, uh, some of the finest top-notch quality are made by elves. And not just the super exciting stuff that D&D players drool over, magic items, enchanted weapons, mystical armors, and etc., but also the mundane. Think simple, like, say, rope. Like, the very best, the most durable, the lightest per foot, the longest shelf life. All elvish, you know. Same goes for tools, clothing, architecture, uh, the way they plant, the way they harvest, the way they hunt, etc. Their unnaturally long lifespans allow them to truly master... Uh, uh, to, they take several decades to truly master some of these... Uh, uh, skills and uh, they can do that several times over you know an elf could spend 20 years learning the most productive maximum yield producing farming techniques and still not yet be considered an adult by their peers you know i think that's why elvish quality goods are so 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 superior when a man makes a sword or, or a gardening tool, it only lasts so long before needing maintenance. And, and without maintenance, the items eventually enter like a state of disrepair. You know, rust happens, handles splinters, uh, you know, etc. Uh, a skilled man might make a sword or a tool so well that, you know, of such quality that the item is the last one he will ever need in his lifetime. You know, which which means the weapon or item or tool lasts you know 70 maybe 80 years before breaking down you take that and then apply it to an elf you know the the elf may spend a decade or two uh, you know going on like 20 years just learning how to perfectly craft this said weapon or tool you know just the right amount of materials made just the right way with maximum durability minimal mess slash pollution you know etc and, and then factor in that, like the tools of man, this will need you know maintenance periodically, and and you know uh, has essentially been created to serve the purposes of elves, who live much longer than man. I.e., while goods both common and magnificent alike seem to be such a good make when crafted by elves, you know a simple sword or gardening tool of elvish make will likely last multiple generations of the other mortal mortal races, you know, so hence why they are so highly sought after. Uh, however, despite the many elvish master craftsmen alongside their many magical goods, what the elves are most known for amongst the realms isn't their refined ways, their savage tactics, nor wealths of knowledge. Uh, it's the influence elven music and poetry has over the realms uh, and it is like no other has ever been seen before you know all of the realms in as far and as wide as they stretch few can boast better wine music and tales that are brought to this world's ears by elves and their culture and as such it is widely considered top-notch or some of the best wine music and tales that the fantasy realms have to offer 
which kind of uh, brings me to uh, a little mini elven tale here here in a sec, but uh, involving the three main uh, elven variants. How close am I to uh, landing on uh, what you looked up so far? Oh, as is always the case in the fa in the Fey, uh, a lot of similarities and a lot of differences, both at the same time. So just not consistent. Perfect. That's that's what elves are going for, I think. <laughs> um. All right. So. Uh, this it's a simple tale like I've mentioned before um, of the three subspecies of elf. Uh, one of them decided to follow or was tricked into following Loth, the evil spider goddess, and due to this they were banished by the other two from the surface world, deep beneath the surface of the world to the ever-expanding shadows of the Underdark. This is of course the drow or the dark elf, and uh, as are most that are called that call the Underdark home. Dark Elves are mostly evil creatures, with few breaking that mold, and even fewer living for long if they do. Unlike their surface cousins, their hair is typically a stark white or pale blonde, alongside a skin complexion typically ranging from ash to obsidian in color, uh, often entertaining hues of purple as well. These subterranean elves are masters of their domain and bring fear to all of the Underdark and surface world alike. The remaining surface elves usually fall into one of two categories, either high elves or wood elves. High elves typically have fair hair and complexions and, and get a boost or tend to lean on the intelligence ability score for, for the you know, D&D mechanics. Uh, while in retro re retrospect, the Wood Elves tend to be uh, more darker, uh, more earthier hair and complexions, and also tend to lean on or outright favor the Wisdom Ability score. You know, and uh, these two Elves, uh, while, while this trio of Elves has many different tales that they swap back and forth, many different wines, much uh, culture and music, uh, all three seem to uh, make their way into many, many uh, realms, which is why I think they're some of the most popular out there. Is because you you really can't have a game of Dungeons and Dragons without an elf showing up, you know. Um, so regardless of how they they tend to be in parties across the realms, the three distinct variants tend to uh, represent the really different thoughts and belief systems set forth by elves each kind of uh, representing a, a conflict in and of itself. You know, the, the high elves seem to favor structure, learning, efficiency, and, and grace in most things. You know, from, from their architecture to their politics, alongside the, their goods that they craft and things, you know. Uh, fine quality seems to be the name of the game, you know, uh, efficient and, you know, uh, carefree. That's kind of where you get, like, the... Um, the stereotypical kind of snooty elf, you know, not per se because they're just like a snooty people, but, you know, um, maybe they have lived a certain way for a couple hundred years. And, you know, at this point in their lives, it's unnecessary to do simple mortal things like, you know, track mud on your boots or be covered in rain in a rainstorm, you know, like things that are just so easy for them to handle, you know, uh, are not handled thus way by mortals so they're you know viewed as like inefficient or kind of barbarian in a way you know um so let's see here <laughs> um aside from the high elves the wood elves uh 
above all seem to value life, preferring to, to master living in harmony with all flora and fauna and, and focusing on harmony with nature. And, and this shows in, in how uh, and where they build their homes, you know, alongside how they harness local resources and, and the communities that this builds, you know, a, a team of, of druids looking out for, you know, forest wandering folk and building a safe place probably looks a lot different than, you know, the high elves, uh, architecture and libraries you know these these are the type of elves that make you know their homes high up in the trees or 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 uh one with nature rather find a den or ha a grow a, a a home like uh through vines and things have them shaped to be like a small hut versus you know the uh, grand architecture of of the high elves you know kind of living in harmony living uh, amongst nature but you know uh alongside it as well i guess and then finally the drow you know they represent a superior knowledge and drive and tenacity and efficiency of the elves you know seeing themselves uh, as vastly superior to most of the other mortal races including the surface elves they believe in using their superior skills goods and knowledge to take what they want when they want it and you know as they consider themselves kind of the the top of the food chain as for as far as mortal races are concerned you know so um that's about all i got on elves you got any questions or comments before uh hitting me with some of that feywild lore knowledge <laughs> no i mean it definitely reads and, and you can definitely see the influence from uh tolkien and how dnd does its elves and i'll discuss that you know it he was definitely a very influential person in all of fantasy settings since <laughs> the hobbit and lord of the rings came out yeah and it does definitely have a very like lord of the rings kind of vibe the way elves are kind of described and i you know a picture like you know uh, legolas is like the uh you know, the ideal, the poster boy for Dungeons and Dragons elves. Typically something along that, you know. They do make, you know, excellent rangers like Legolas, but, you know, also you know, excellent, you know, rogues and, and any any class that's based in dexterity, but uh, also, you know, wizards and things too. That long lifespan comes in handy. Got more time to study, you know. <laughs> oh, and especially the uh, four-hour short rest true uh, anyway that's all i got on the elves uh what what are you gonna bring to the table today all right so as i mentioned uh elves are members of the fey realm and like most creatures of the fey they have gone through many alterations and changes to the point of not being recognized the first elves are considered to be of germanic origin and we know them especially from Norse mythology, Norse being borrowed from ancient Germanic mythologies. For example, the Odin in Norse mythology was called Vodin in the Germanic, so prior to crossing the seas. Uh, we know Norse mythology from really only two sources, the Poetic Edda and the Prose Edda. And they were written well after Christianity really started to influence uh, Nordic town settlements and people. So, what we are going to be basing it 
the this origin on is going to be definitely possibly not what they all fully believed but it is just the best idea that we have uh in the prose edda when describing the worlds as connected by yggdrasil or the world tree there is a place called alfheimer which is norse for elf home and and i'm going to butcher this Vartalfheimer, which is the dark elf home so there's two types of elves light elves or and dark elves the alfheimer home of the light elves is above the trees amongst the heavens the angels the Vartalfheimer is below ground down by the roots of the world tree and because there's two different realms there are two types of elves light elves and dark elves that were called Irusofor and Dolkofor. I apologize to anybody who speaks Nordic for my horrible butchering. Sounds good but to me. That, it sounds like you looked up pronunciation guide or something. That was spot on as far as I'm, as far as I'm concerned. I'm also not Nordic, so. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so when describing them, with light elves, they were considered to be fairer than the sun to look at. Thus, beautiful creatures. And quite possibly angelic you know in terms of nature you know they're the light they're the happy their home is at the top of the tree compare that to dark elves that were said to be blacker than pitch and complexion so they're down in the dark where it's grungy and possibly more evil and would be associated more with wickedness and maliciousness uh the light elves were associated with Venere, which is one of the races of gods, as the lord of Alfheim is Freyr, a Venere god. Dark elves, meanwhile, have been speculated to be either closely related or even another name to dwarves in Norse mythology. Uh, elves have been described as being anywhere from as tall to a human or diminutive, small, fairy type creatures they have been associated with being friendly helpful and beneficent all the way to being tricky malicious and wicked in old english and gaelic folklore elves are actually more associated with fairies and they would be used interchangeably in their tales in scotland you'd have the Sealy court which is made up of good fairies it can be compared to the light elves who work against the unseelie court who are more nefarious and maybe the dark elves and in fact seelie court and unseelie court even made it over into dungeons and dragons when talking about the fey realm uh dark elves would also be called mares and, and would sit on the chest of a sleeping person and cause the person to have bad dreams while this is likely sleep paralysis it would be the source for the word nightmare as to being what a bad dream is due to the association of elves being mingled with fairies it becomes hard to distinguish specific tales associated with the elves depending on the storyteller a creature may be called fairies elves sprites gnomes goblins hobgoblins brownies pixies and a variety of other creatures even in norse mythology the chain used to trick and capture fenrir which was the wolf son of loki 
had been made by both dark elves and dwarves. And this would lead to the speculation that they were the same thing. Both have been credited with crafting this chain. Uh, elves in Iceland have been called the Hidden Folk or Huldafolk. According to a survey of Icelandic people, 54% of the people considered Huldafolk and elves to be the same thing. 20% think they aren't, and 26% say they aren't sure. I fall in with the 26% because it would be hard to determine if they were meant to be the same or if just time entails cause there to be a merger. And so it's more coincidental and just happenstance that caused the two to get associated with each other. Hildefolk live in nature, same as with pretty much all the Fae, but they live in a parallel world. The Elfir, or Elves, probably came with the Vikings when they began to settle Iceland. In the 11th century, with the introduction of Christianity and the merger with the Tales, the hidden folk then became the dirty children of Adam and Eve, whom Eve hid from God. This caused God to declare that what man hid from God, so shall be hidden from man. And so these children were made to be invisible and thus hidden from man. Unless they want to be seen, because then they can make themselves visible, should they want to. Thus making the power of God on a more of a... Yeah, we could do that basis more than by force, I guess. That's crazy. That's interesting. Continue. <laughs> oh, we're not done with them yet. Due to them being invisible to men, it is said to be unwise to throw rocks, especially towards mounds, as there may be a hidden person that you could hit. And like every other fae, they can take malicious vengeance if they feel harmed. Belief in the Huldefolk has actually had an impact on construction as roads have been built to go around mounds and boulders lest they be the home of a Huldefolk. Whenever bad things happen at a construction site, it is blamed on the Huldefolk and that you either A. needed to ask permission to build there or B. you need to move your whole construction site. That is how prevalent this belief has become or been over there. Uh, when Neolithic flint arrows were first discovered, especially in England and stuff, they were called elf shots and were blamed to be the source of sharp pains that did not have an obvious cause. So, if you stub your toe against the door, you know you stubbed your toe against the door. If you ever got a sharp pain like in your calf and you didn't hit anything and nothing touched you, it would be... Oh, you just got hit with an elf shot. That's why you didn't see it. And by proof, here's these stone tips. Yeah, like a cramp or something. Like, damn elves. <laughs> oh, exactly. And this is also possibly a speculation as to why horseshoes became a good luck charm in houses. Um, discuss it more in the fairies, but just as a quick here... Because elves were and fairies used stone instead of iron, it was believed that iron was harmful to the elf. And so by putting up something like a horseshoe in your home, it above the door, it was to ward off so the elves cannot climb in. Or fairies, depending on who's telling the story. 
nymphs from ancient Greek and Roman mythologies became elves when they moved to England, or at least when the stories did, and so their personalities and tales transferred likewise. In Norway, you have Huldras, which were beautiful women that would lure men in to marry them. These Huldras would also have a tail like a cow that they would lose after marriage. However, if the fiancé would see his bride from the back, he would see her tail, which then see her in her true form, which is ugly. And she would turn and ask him if he thought she was ugly. If he said yes, she would kill him. If he said no, and they went through with the marriage, she would kill him after the marriage. So, you that that was a definite uh, damned if you do, damned if you don't type situation. Yeah, that's a shit deal right there. You're screwed either way. Denmark had elf circles where you might see pale, beautiful women dancing. If a human saw them dance, he would become hypnotized and dance with them until he fell dead. If the man was attractive, the elfin women might kidnap him and cause him to be a sex slave, which would drive him mentally insane or kill him. I mean, so if they want to kill you, at least that would be fun beforehand, but still not exactly what you would want to have happen. Death by snoo snoo. I mean, it could be worse. <laughs> There is a creature in ancient Mayan mythology that was called the Alex. Or Alu. Nope, that would be more French. Alux. Uh, these creatures were said to be about three feet tall and likened to dwarves, goblins, and elves. These creatures are said to live in the forest, are mischievous, and will play pranks on people and hide their stuff. Just this year, 2023, Mexican President Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador shared a picture that he claimed was an Ayuk, and the photo can be found by Googling Mexican elf. So today, there is still a belief by some in these what would be considered elf-like creatures. Uh, due to the association of every other fake creature, Elves are found all around the literary world and included in multiple folk tales. And as I've said, these would be any tale that could be a gnome, a fairy, hobgoblin, or any other fake creature may have a variant that uses elf instead. Such as the story of Rumpelstiltskin has been gnome, fairy, and elf depending on which source you read. Uh, one of the most famous elves in the world is Santa Claus. In the poem, A Visit from St. Nicholas or The Night Before Christmas, Santa is described as being a right jolly old elf. In a poem titled The Wonders of Santa Claus, published in 1857, it has the lines, In his house, upon the top of a hill, and almost out of sight, he keeps a great many elves at work. So this is where we're seeing elves being the helpers for Santa Claus, unlike the gnomes as found in one of the Nordic countries, which I can't remember which one it was off the top of my head. Uh, 
and Santa himself being an elf, but again, industrious, very creative and crafty with their tools, which is why they could also be associated with dwarves, another of the fake creatures who are also industrious, just goblins made the worst looking items, dwarves made functional, but not always pretty, sometimes pretty, and elves probably made the pretty, but still functional. Or they all made the exact same look at thing, just depending on who you were using for your story. But here we still see the diminutive nature of elves at play. The elves of Santa's workshop were never considered big. They were shorter in stature, closer to gnomes, or what we would now consider halfling sizes. Then came... J.R.R. Tolkien to change it all again, as we've seen in the Goblin episode. In his works, elves became these fairly tall and fair creatures with pointed ears and sharp senses. They are wise, live long lives, and are gifted in magic. And you have different types of elves. You have West Elves. The Unwilling Elves, Deep Elves, Fair Elves, The Hindmost Elves, Grey Elves, Sea Elves, Green Elves, and Wood Elves. So you see that vast variety. That still carries on to a lot of fantasy-based RPG. Skyrim borrows a lot of them when you talk about the Dark Elves, or the Dunmer, the High Elves, the Altmer, the Wood Elves, or Bosmer, and in Skyrim or Elder Scroll uh, mythos, orcs or the Orsimer are also a type of mare creature. Uh, in this iteration of Tolkien, the elves have become so prolific that the way that many of us in America and the modern world see elves today is based on this style. Uh, some who grew up in perhaps Germany, uh, stronger Gaelic connections, or more uh, Nordic may still see them as their ancestors did way back before the spread of uh, Christianity that helped unify them. But you speak to most people in America or younger generations who have never bothered to learn this old folklore, and the way they will describe the elf is the one you find in Dungeons and Dragons and the works of J.R.R. Tolkien. And in fact, Tolkien popularized the plural of elves to be spelled E-L-V-E-S and their culture to be elven or E-L-V-E-N, when before it wasn't uncommon to use elves as E-L-F-S for the plural and elfin or E-L-F-I-N were associated to elf culture. So he completely changed the lexicon as well. It is difficult to really break down everything elven until we finish the rest of the Fey Realm because they have been so mixed together, especially with fairies. Uh, there are more creatures in non-Western Europe tales about Fey-like creatures, so even breaking those down to specific same type gets difficult. They'll say, oh, it's like a goblin. Goblins 
have been associated with everything. Oh, it's like a dwarf. Dwarves are intermingled with everything else. Oh, it's like the Mexican version of a gnome. Well, gnomes are fairies and elves and dwarves and everything else. <laughs> so, we have explored some of the gnomes and the goblins episodes. Uh, I spoke of one here, and more will be discussed as we do the dwarves and fairies, which are on the agenda. But it is, again, that difficulty of finding an exact story to associate with these creatures when they change. If you hear the story in Germany, it could be a kobold, it could be a goblin, it could be a gnome. You hear it in England, it's now a pixie or a brownie. You hear it in Scotland, it's a red cap. You hear it in Ireland, it's the banshee. It just changes that much. So how can you play an elf based on folklore? And this is another one of those, I don't think there's a lot you can necessarily change to fit the folklore. Because of that intermingling, one thing I do like is D&D has definitely taken all these creatures that are so interchangeable and really put them into their own niches. Elves are this. You will not confuse an elf with a fairy. You won't confuse it with a dwarf. You won't confuse it with a goblin. Gnomes are this. You won't confuse it with uh, anything else. Maybe a halfling. But they're going to have that more solid standard. So I, 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 I couldn't come up with anything. It, it's like they are played probably to the best of their ability on the world of J.R.R. Tolkien, you can change it to where they're all related somehow, or perhaps the elves have a stronger connection to the Feywild, but I, I, I just really don't see, uh, I guess, more proper way to play them. Right, and maybe uh, Dungeons and Dragons kind of took that narrative and ran with it because of how difficult it is to differentiate some of the Feywild creatures, you know, might uh, have had something to do with their influence, but, you know, with the, the various sub-variants, you know, uh, they all have kind of their own place in the many realms of Dungeons and Dragons, and, you know, it's easy to uh, either take that kind of pre-written narrative and run with it, or just, you know, 180 and rebel against, you know, you you don't want to be the uh, high elf going to school with high ambitions, you know, you want to, uh, you know, maybe you're a sorcerer instead of a wizard, or, you know, maybe you're a dark elf who is not actually evil and managed to escape the uh, terrors of the Underdark, you know, yada yada, and henceforth. So, here's my question to you, as somebody who hasn't spent a lot of time necessarily reading into ancient folklore and whatnot, how happy would you be if you were given a pop quiz to discuss the Fae at this point, and we're only about halfway done? Oh, not the most excited. That's uh, very broad and sometimes uh, obnoxiously specific topic. Oh, I, I completely agree. It's one of those, you'll read something, and it'll use one of the names 
and you'll be like, no, I read that story before, and it's not what it was. And it's just due to translation and due to location and everything else. But it is interesting to see the wild ride that something like the elf could take you on. Yeah, it was definitely fun doing a little research, digging through the uh, various editions of you know, players' handbooks and dungeon masters' guides. You know, kind of peeking at everything. Um, well, that being said, that's all about all I got for the elf. Um, if uh, you guys want to see me and Chris doing some more nerdy stuff, go ahead and check out uh, Tater Brain Pod, all one word, YouTube channel or uh, Instagram. And uh, you got anything to add to that, Chris? If you have any questions, comments, or if there's any races or monsters you would love to see uh, done sooner rather than later, you can shoot us an email at monstersandmythos, all one word, at gmail.com. Um, leave a review where you can. The more reviews we have that are positive, the more the better. More we can spread out, share to your socials. Uh, if you are a Stitcher listener, they are shutting it down at the end of August, I believe it is. Uh, we are on Pandora, Spotify, Apple uh, Podcasts, or if there's somewhere that you listen to that you, we are not, let me know and we'll see what I can do to get us on there. Otherwise, thanks for listening. <laughs>